Today, you will meet Robin Hopkins. She is a fantastic person, and she's so accomplished. She's an actress. She's a podcast host. She's an author. She's done so many things. So I'll tell you a little bit. She wrote a book called If These Ovaries Could Talk, which was made after a podcast that she co-hosted. And she won many, many, many awards and accolades from people like Rosie O'Donnell and Amy Schumer. And now she has her own podcast called Well Adjusting, and she'll probably make a book about that too. I will keep you posted. And she's also the producer and the director and the host of the Headspace podcast. So here's a woman who's done many, many things. Her most important role is being a mom. She and her wife have two beautiful children who they conceived with the help of two sperm donors. And she will take us on her journey to have her children, but also share with us some of the most inspiring things that you can imagine about how she pursued this, how she decided to choose her donors, how she went through so many decisions that so many of us grapple with every day, and how ultimately she is helping her children feel good in their own skin. And that's what we all want, right? We want to be a family where our children feel good in their own skin and feel close to us and good about their story, about being donor conceived. So she's going to teach us a lot. And I hope you take a pad of paper and a pen because there's lots of notes to take here. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. Welcome to Building Your Family. This is a podcast about donor conception, surrogacy, and all the ways the modern family is built. I'm Lisa Schumann. I'm your host. I'm an author, a researcher, a therapist, and I'm passionate about helping people have a better path to parenthood and an easier parenting experience. And to that end, today I have a special guest, Robin Hopkins, who is also a friend of mine who's done wonderful things with her life. She's done podcasts and books and is about to embark on another book writing experience, which she can tell us about. But she was the former host of If These Ovaries Could Talk, which was a great podcast that I was on. And uh, she wrote this book, which is which I encourage everybody to get. She's a co-author um, with Jamie Kelton, who has a podcast herself. And she had so many accolades. She won awards for the book, and Amy Schumer said she loved the book, and she had Rosie O'Donnell on the show. She's had so many wonderful experiences, and now she's the host of two podcasts. One is for Headspace, and one is her own podcast, which she will talk to you about, and is really a fantastic self-help podcast that I think everybody could get a lot out of. But today, we are going to focus on family building. So welcome, Robin. Thanks so much for coming Hi. on the show. I really appreciate having you. Thanks for having me. Although I feel like we should just end right there because it's probably not going to get better than all that you just <laughs> said. So I'm only going to disappoint from this point forward. <laughs> <No>. so. <laughs> so it's great to be here though. Well, thank you. And um, so tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're doing these days and uh, your the podcast that you're working on. Yeah. I'm an actor. I'm a writer. I'm a producer. Um, I'm I'm in Brooklyn, so you'll probably hear some sirens mm -hmm. as we go, which will be which will be fun. Like you mentioned, I host a podcast called Dear Headspace, which I really love. 
but I also host a, a podcast that's very near and dear to my heart called Well Adjusting. And we talk to people, you know, a lot of times Gen Zers and millennials about self-help, finances, the workplace, just kind of like, I, I'm like your, I'm like that kind of fun aunt that might bring cocktails and be like, and tell you, tell you what you really need to hear. <laughs> so we try to like pick problems apart with people and, and hopefully give them a little bit of like a direction. And then I also have a sub stack that is very connected to the podcast and it's called Should I Learn from My Crappy Childhood? And I do kind of weekly essays or stories and and I'm just talking about, you know, kind of like any any self-help advice I have comes from all the crap that I went through and just what I learned as I came through on the other side. You know, I'm kind of like a very DIY self-helper is how I like to say it. I'm not so much with the accreditations, but I've got the life skills. Um, and as you mentioned, I'm working on a book proposal based on the same on the same idea. So I got like 400 jobs and only one of them pays. That's what I like <laughs> to say. <laughs> we want to hear all about that, but I, I would really like to hear also um, for our listeners, hear a little bit about how you built your family because that's part of this whole process, right? And part of yeah. why you had the former podcast and part of why you wrote this book and how you got to where you are now living, as we were talking about the life where, you know, everybody is dying to get to where the kids are yelling at you for not getting, <laughs> you know, the, the newest technology. But it was a, a bit of a road, but you got there. Uh, would yeah. you mind sharing with people a little bit about that journey and then also maybe a little bit about how your kids experience because people always want to know what are their experiences for kids? How do they feel about their donor? How do they feel about the life that they've, um, you know, kind of been brought into? What is their experience of being donor conceived and all of that and your experiences with raising the, your children? Well, geez, that's a big question. <laughs> I'll just start with uh, the family. It's my, it's my wife, Mary, and I. And I knew we, I wanted to just have kids. And she had to, she, I had to kind of bring her along on the journey a little bit. I think she just, um, you know, a lesbian from the 90s didn't think that that was even an issue. Mm. And what's interesting is I met you on my journey to create my family. I believe you were the, the staff uh, therapist that we were required to meet with because initially what we were going to do, Mary's a little older than I am. So we were going to use my eggs and Mary was going to carry. Like we were just so enamored with that idea because we were like, wow, like this is like, it'll be like the blueprint and the DNA and the map for me. But like the bones will literally be created from Mary. And we were like, that's like as close as we can get to making a baby together. And we would just, we just absolutely loved that idea. And, and then we got to the point where like we had met you, we passed, I had a checklist, of course, because I'm, I'm big into my spreadsheets and my checklists. <laughs> um, and I, I, we had everything. We got to the point where we had all the prescriptions like laid out on a coffee table and we, all we had to do was order them and we were going to start. And it was actually Mary that said this, because I don't think that if I had said it, I think that would have been bad or wrong. And I, I wasn't, I think I kind of felt this way, but I don't know that I had acknowledged it, but she said, are we doing this the hardest possible way? And I, cause, cause we, the way our insurance was, we had enough money to really just kind of do it one time. Mm. And, you know, I, I, I don't think we had an, enough information to know that like, yeah, like there'd be one retrieval and there might be more implantations that we could do. But we were just like, we got like one shot and we've got like a 40% chance of 40%. We were like that, you know, Mary was like, I'm not great at math, but that doesn't seem awesome. And I, I was kind of like, well, and she said, I think maybe we started down this road because I was afraid I wasn't going to feel 
involved because she was always afraid she was going to be like that dad who's just like holding the diaper bag in the back. Mm. And she just wanted to feel connected. And she said, I don't know that I feel that way anymore. And immediately like called and said, we're going to do it a different way. I think my cycle started like a week later and I got, and we did IUI and I got pregnant. I miscarried that, um, that baby, but it was like, we immediately just took a right turn and and then we were like back in the donor search again because I miscarried and then we ran out of sperm and then the guy was out of the program and we were just like, oh my God. And then we, and it was like in the beginning stages, there was so much, like everything felt so weighted. It was like, how do we pick this person? Who do we pick? And like, you know, it was like, we were approaching it like it was a dating app. Mm. We were like, I don't know. He sounds not fun. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> like, we, like his voice is weird. Mm-hmm. And then we had to pick a new donor. We went through the agonizing thing again. And then a couple times later, I got pregnant with my with my first kid. Just like, IUI, no, non-medicated, which means wow. basically the doctor just kind of puts it in there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just sticks it in there yeah. and talks to you very uncomfortably while he's doing it. And you're like, that's romantic. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, it, you know, it was like a, it was an interesting journey in that we, you know, we just really had something in mind and we were very attached to it in some ways. And then we had to kind of let that go in order to be like, okay, here. And Mary had a lot of work to do because she, you know, like genetically is not connected to the kids. And, you know, I, I get that. I, I can understand where you might have to process that a little bit. And how did she make peace with that eventually? How was she able to get through that? That's a good question. You know, I, I would say not in one minute, like kind of over time, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that like initially we were like, all right, well, since I'm like, as it, I, I get to, I'm using air quotes because I don't think being pregnant is fun in any way, shape or form, but I'm getting to be the one to have the babies. So we gave the kids her last name. You know, they had, they, both kids have my, my last name as a middle name. Cause I'm not, I'm not down with the hyphenates, no offense to hyphenators <laughs> around the world. It's just like too much, you know? So we, we started there. And then I just think like, you know, there was during the pregnancy, I think there was a like, I think she had a bigger concern with feeling connected. Like, will I feel connected to this baby? And I remember the second that Maxine came out, <laughs> I just made like a shooting out hand with motion, which is kind of <laughs> hilarious. The minute she came out, I watched Mary, like I was just like, what is happening? And and I watched Mary like just running through the room with like two cameras sobbing and taking pictures. And I was like, okay, there's nothing for us to be concerned about. So mm. I just, once the baby got there, there was no thing. You know what I mean? It was like, she just, she was so in love that it was like, you know. It all went away. Yeah, I think so. That's beautiful. That's really yeah. beautiful. So nice. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's such a hard process. And what's, what I think is so interesting is I, my kids are now about to turn 13 and 15. So it's like, it's like, I'm looking back on something that's like, oh, but you know, at the time it feels so weighted, right? It feels so like every decision you make is, is life or death. You know, like, am I going to give my kid this, or am I going to give my kid that? But you know, the reality of it is, is that I just wanted to be a parent and it didn't, it didn't matter. You know, I mean, I I say all that, but we went to the ends of the earth to try to have our kid be by the same donor, our Mm -hmm. second kid, because again, our first donor was out of the program. And at the time I didn't know you could buy them out of retirement or attempt to. And so I joined, I joined like the sibling registry through the sperm bank. 
and found a couple of people who had leftover sperm. And one of them was in Bogota, Colombia. And she was like, I have a vial if you want it. And wow. we were doing all this stuff, trying to get it shipped. And and it was just proving like, oh uh, like the panic of like just picturing some like idiot in customs being like, what's this? And opening it. <laughs> and then it's just being like, <laughs> as it slowly melts. Like my my, oh my, my second kid is melting. <laughs> so so like the pressure sh- and, she, and I remember this woman, she said, Well, why don't we just move the mountain to Mohammed? She said, What how how is it like move the mountain to Mohammed? And I was like, she was like, come here. She said, you could see my doctor. And I had a flight voucher and, and we did it. I just what? hopped on a plane. I went down there, saw her doctor. We did an insemination. It was, I mean, it oh was my gosh. a journey because I spoke barely any Spanish and I was just wandering around Colombia for seven days. Cause we, I, we, we just booked a, a large window of time. I'm hanging out with, I'm hanging out with a, a woman who has a child also by like that's a donor sibling to my oldest kid. And and I'm I'm meeting this kid and I'm in another country. Wow. I don't speak the language. And, you know, and and like I was sitting in the lobby with her before I went in for the insemination. And she was like holding my hand and she was like, I'm with you. And I was like, this is like what an incredibly lovely experience. And what's interesting is that didn't work. Probably I put weight pressure on it. And I'm I think I'm circling back to my original point, which as I often do. And then a woman from Seattle, another donor, um, I don't know what to call the other moms, but another mom who had a baby by the same donor, she had a vial, she sent it to me and that didn't work. And there was only one other woman in Australia. And I was like, We're, I'm not going to Australia. Like, this is insane. Wow. And, what, and that moment was the moment where Mary, I don't know if Mary said it or I said it, but we were like, I was obsessed with making sure my kids were 100% genetically you know, I didn't like the idea that they would technically be half siblings. And, and we were both kind of like, but you're not in any way biologically related to the kids. And are we saying you're not their mom? That's, Mm -hmm. this is so crazy. Like, what are we doing? And we got a new donor, got pregnant the first time. And so it's it's just like, I, I really have such a strong faith in the universe gave me the exact kids I was supposed to have. And, in and I got all these lessons along the way as we were doing it. Wow. What a story. Oh my yeah, gosh. Yeah, I just I crunched a lot into a two-minute monologue there. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's amazing. <laughs> what a story. I think it's so interesting because, yes, a lot of people feel like they want to use the same donor for all of their children. And I think, you know, it's nice in some ways for the children to be genetically connected. But the other piece, which we learned from uh, a researcher we had on previously who studies donor siblings, she said another piece of it is that kids also just appreciate knowing other kids who are donor conceived. Yeah. Like that's another part of it, not even just that they're related, but that there's somebody else who's donor conceived that they can relate to. And that by itself is also kind of a nice experience yeah, for them. for sure. That's something you and I've talked a lot about, for sure. And yeah. it's something that's been really important in our family building journey because, you know, what's interesting is when I started off, I was very much like 180 degrees different than where I sit today. Like I was, no, I don't want anything to do with those folks. Like that, like they're not my family. Mm-hmm. Mary is my family. We only went to this bank because we needed this part. And I was almost resentful the idea that I needed to do that. But it was yeah. like it was a necessity. We did it. And at that time, I wasn't thinking about my kids and the impact of it. Like it just, it didn't, 
I wouldn't say it doesn't occur to me, but yeah, Yeah. well, it didn't occur to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, and also it wasn't as big of a conversation, I think, as it is now, right? That's true. It it was probably in the adopted community, but less so in donor, you know, donor conceived kids. Mm -hmm. But the need, again, talking about the universe giving me exactly what I needed, the need to try to get the sperm from the first donor when I joined, so I, when I joined that, like, I don't, if anyone's not familiar, oftentimes, at least my sperm bank, when you report the pregnancy, they give you a login for a, like a board that anyone who's had a, cons- uh, who's had a kid by the same donor can log into so that they're creating like a little portal where you all can chat so that there's a relationship. And so I had friends who had secret Facebook groups with their donors. So I had that idea. And I, so I went in and I said, is anybody in here have any more sperm? And this one woman was like, I don't, but we're family. Yay. And I was so freaked out. Like I was just Mm. like, I was like, I don't, we're not family. Please stop it. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) I don't know who you are. Um, And then the other woman came in and so I started chatting with them, but in the chatting with them, I was like, God, these women are so lovely. Like, and, and we have this thing in common. And I had remembered about the friend in the Facebook group. So I just went into the donor board and I posted, I said, this is my, my stuff on, on Facebook. I've created Mm -hmm. this secret Facebook group. Go here, friend me, and I'll let you in. And all these people came in and, you know, and there was someone in Australia and someone here and everyone started sharing pictures. And, and over time, it just changed my whole perspective about like the value of, of, of having this community, not just for me, but definitely for my kids. Mm -hmm. And there was like a period of time where both of my kids have been completely different with their relationship to it. But my daughter was like really interested in donor siblings. And oddly enough, like there's been so many weird little like twists and turns in our um, story, but this, we found out that they, she had a donor sibling that we lived two blocks away from each other in Brooklyn for two years, for the first two years of her life. And we met when they were about probably in third grade. And today, and, and we're talking in all of Brooklyn, all of New York city, they go to the same high school and they go and like, and the donor sibling knows, like when my daughter was in middle school, she knew some of her friends. Uh, they wow. don't, they're not necessarily like pals, but they know each other. And I, I think that's really weird and interesting. And we met another donor sibling around Christmas. So like, we kind of have a relationship where they're like distant cousins, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, if they come mm-hmm. to town, I'm happy to go get pizza with you or you can come over and, you know, right. but I don't, I'm not vacationing with these folks. Right. You know, cause I just don't, I don't know them in that way, you know? Yeah. Like what you just pointed out, you said your daughter knows this person in high school, but they're not like best friends. And you know, the, this researcher we had on, she said that, you know, a lot of these donor sibling relationships that start where the parents have this strong intention of connecting the kids, even when they really want to do that when they're young, sometimes when the kids get older, they think, you know what, you know, you're maybe you're not my cup of tea. Yeah. And, you know, maybe you are, maybe you're not. Maybe that person would be my best friend otherwise, but maybe not. Right. Yeah. And so just like any other relationship we have with relatives, some we like, some we don't, it's going to be the same exactly. sort of thing. Exactly. Right. To me, we just, we put the information in front of them and then they can do what they will with it. You know, my son right. has had... I mean, we let them lead the conversation. Like I, we, we started off kind of, and this is something we talked to you a lot about and that you were very helpful with. You know, we started off with age appropriate information. We 
started off with like a book and we've added on about their story, like at age, age appropriate levels, kind of just adding a little more information each time. And, and if they asked and he doesn't really show any interest in really any of it. But what's interesting is his side, I have the most information about because one of the, one of the, the one woman, I set up a Facebook group for his donor as well. And there's this one woman who really kind of like took it over and just took charge. And I was like, oh, please have at it. And she swabbed her kids because she had twins. Not only was the donor registered with like a 23andMe type thing, she knew him and went to college with him. This is the only part that's a little funky is like kind of like, I want to say like without our consent feels way too strong, but she just like without thinking, I think she was so excited to share the information, just shared it all, shared his name, shared a picture. And I was just like, oh my God, because I was not ready. Right. Like I thought- There's a lot. Yeah. I thought, hey, this is when my kid's 18, they'll decide and then we'll go to the bank. Like, you know, cause we chose an open donor. And like when my kid was nine, all of a sudden I have all this information and I'm looking at this donor and there's just something Because at the time that we were doing it, you got a baby picture. You had to do a lot of mental gymnastics to try to figure out who your donor was and and try to, you know. So different. Yeah. And just to see the face, it was an adjustment for me even. And so she she was going to invite him into the group. And we were all, I just kind of was like, hey, like, I don't want to speak for the other families. I was like, but I'm not ready. We're not ready. We're letting our son lead. And, you know, can we keep this group for us? You know, I said, because it's just you know, and then she re- she reached out to him on behalf of all of us, which I was like, oh my God, that could have gone sideways. Thankfully it didn't. They set another group up and in that group, he's in it. And there, a couple of them have met him and talked to him. And, and I'm in the group because I just wanted to say thank you to him because he did, you know, his service did help create my family. But fairly recently, maybe last year, my son did ask and I watched him and I said, okay, you know, well, I said, we know his name and we told him the name. And then he said, do you have a picture? And I said, we do. And I showed him the picture and I watched his face and his face was kind of like, and it was uh, like, just like a weird kind of like, what face? <laughs> mm-hmm. And it, I don't know if it was, I think, cause he doesn't look anything like him. He looks just like me. And oh, uh-huh. it, and I could tell that he was done and he goes, okay, hasn't asked a question since. So your son saw the picture and then and then he said that was it kind of he felt Yeah, like it just it seemed like it was enough. It was enough information for him and I respected that and then we just went back to like whatever and I said if you have you want more you have more and it's I think there was a point where my daughter asked and I shared a little bit of what we knew and then she said okay that's enough because I said we have an audio file do you want to hear that and she goes no I don't think so and I said okay great you know, it's like, I think you just have to let them lead and, yes. you know, and, and, and follow it. I, I think the part that's hard to understand is like, I've done a couple of, on well adjusting, I did an, an interview with a woman who was adopted and she was struggling to find her heritage because she was raised by this kind of uh, very white family in New Jersey. And she, her heritage was um, Colombian and she felt like equal parts to Latin and not at all Latin enough. And she was really struggling to find herself. And I, and it was like those moments as a parent, just like, oh, they kind of turned me inside out because she was like, my family is lovely. They are my family. But no matter what, she was still left with this thing. And I do think about that at times that I did make a choice. In order to have them, I made a choice that they there'd be something they wouldn't know or that they would feel different about or there might be a like a, a 
piece that's missing. And I feel like we did everything that we could to be open and to provide support and to um, place information around them. And then just like I feel like every other parenting decision, you have to just sit with that and hope it's enough because it's that's going to be part of their journey and or it is part of their journey. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think also what you're raising here, which I really feel like the audience really needs to hear, probably, you know, you can't hear it enough, is that every child is different, right? And yes. we all need to respect our kids' own process. You know, I I run this workshop for donor-conceived kids, which we, we talked about before, and some kids really want all their information. Some kids are not ready. Some kids years later are ready, and some kids don't want to to know all of that. Uh, so we really need to follow our own kids. You know, I remember when there was a lot of uproar in the donor conceived community to start yeah. with, I guess, years ago about uh, the fact that so many people weren't told and, you know, this uproar on social media about it and this whole issue about genetic mirroring and how people are so upset that they don't look like their parents. And I remember having these conversations with my kids when they were little, but now that they're older, I said to my daughter, I'm just wondering, do you ever think about that? Because we talked about it when you were little and we did these workshops and everything. Yeah. And now that you're kind of grown up, do you ever think about like people say, oh yeah, you know, you look like your mom or you don't yeah, look like yeah, or whatever, yeah. you know, and this thing and she goes, mom, does a fish know he's in water? This is my life. Like, I know I don't Aww. look like you. And I've always known I don't look like you, and that's just my life, and I don't care. I love you, and this is just the way our relationship is. Like, we don't look alike at all. It doesn't matter. Like, this is just my life, and this is all I've ever known. So I don't know what it's like to look like you because I've never looked like you. So it doesn't make any sense to me. And I don't know if that's because of her temperament or because of the way that she was always raised, but all of my kids kind of feel like that, and they... They just assume we don't look alike because that's all they know. So I think for different kids, it's a different experience. But certainly, if we start at a young age talking to them about their origins and being open with them, we do help them evolve in this way and help them develop the sense of comfort, I think, with just their experience. And everybody's experiences are different, right? Yeah. Um, And there's also a bit of socialization and maybe like, everything would be better over there-ness to this conversation. Because I'll tell you what, my son is my doppelganger except a boy and more handsome. Mm -hmm. And my daughter looks a lot like me, but also way more pretty. And like, and when people say, oh, you look just like your mom, they're both just like, no, I don't. And they're just like, and they're disgusted by it. And they're (laughs) (laughs) like, it's like, I have like a third, I have a third eye. And, you know, I, I think it's not really about that thing. It's about the deeper feeling of a feeling that something's missing or, you know, because it's just, that's such a surface thing, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Again, I think as I said at the very top, and I like to say frequently, I have no credits to back up the things I'm saying, but they feel real <laughs> to me. So I just say them really confidently mm-hmm. and sometimes mm-hmm. that works. So. <laughs> yeah. That's so interesting. And how does Mary feel? Because of course she doesn't look like the kids and do, are there ever any discussions around that? Does that affect them at all? Or Well, there's like really just like funny things about like my daughter has a lot of Mary's mannerisms. Like, so Mar- Maxine will talk a lot about like how um, she'll be like, oh my God, I'm just like mommy in that I don't 
I don't have any sense of direction or like the two of them are both like as soon as the TV's on, they just like stop talking or like staring at the TV. And, you know, so they, they talk about their similarities and Henry is very protective of Mary. And so it's like, I just think it's just like, every other family in that regard. It's like a crossway relationship. And it was this, the weirdest thing happened last night. Maxine was talking about how she did this thing where she, you know, you know, the phrase shits and giggles. She likes to say gets and shiggles. And I said, Oh my God. I said, Maxine, I said, do you know that that was my dad's like favorite thing? He called it balking tack words and he would do it to waitresses. And he, he was a car salesman. So he, it was like, he had this like charming, like, you know, funny mm-hmm. guy thing. And he would say all these phrases like flipped like that. And I was like, I, I was like, if my dad was alive right now, like I, my head would be blown. We'd be calling him right now. Cause it mm-hmm. was just like when you're like, there was that movie that was about those three, those triplets that were separated at birth and adoptions. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they, they do that the way that they, they script the movie, which I found so fascinating is there's a whole act break where they're showing all these similarities of their behaviors. Right. And then they kind of tear the wall down and they show how much of this could be things that they're doing because they want that connection and because well, because they are seeing the other person or because they were doing media. And it was like, you know, like it's, you'll, you'll never know, like, is my daughter really ch- uh, directionally challenged or is that a way that she's connecting to my wife? It's mm-hmm. like, it's just, it's all just like, I find it all really fascinating, the connections. Cause it's like, there'll be posts in our Facebook groups where someone was like, Hey, my kid is actually missing several um grown-up teeth, like like their incisors or whatever. Like, you know, and then someone else was like, Oh my God, my kid had that too. And then someone was like, So did mine. So then we went to the dentist and I was like, Hey, this showed up in the donor group. And she was like, Nope. She's like, Your kid's got all all the teeth. And I was like, Okay, great. I was like, but it's like having people have conversations about health stuff and just all of these connections. Like it's just we're all connected in whatever level or way we're comfortable with or we want. And I mm-hmm. that's to me what we laid the playing field or the what we created for our kids is you can be as connected or not as connected. We will always love you. We are always here. Here's all the information we are able to give you. And there's always going to be questions. Like both of my parents have passed away. There's so much of my family history that I will never, ever, ever know. And so much of it that it's like, like I found out from another relative, like maybe it wasn't even true, you know, like, mm. and so it's, I just, I, I just feel like there's always going to be a longing or a missing part. And I, I don't know, I can't make too big of a deal of it. If my kid does, I'll respect that and I'll try to be helpful, but it's just not the, it's not the ground that we're laying, if that makes sense. Right. Because you're living your life. Yeah. We got things to do. I got a family. I got, I'm busy. Right. I got 17 <laughs> jobs. But again, yes. and only one of them pays. So. <laughs> It's so true. And, you know, I think what's important and what's missing in a lot of these experiences for people who didn't know they were donor conceived and then grow up to have a lot of these issues is that, you know, according to a lot of therapists and particularly one um, who I, I'm writing, writing about, um, Eric Erickson talks about the foundation of you know, human development is trust, right? And if mm-hmm. you start your life with without trust in the family, if you're always feeling like, you know, somebody brings up a certain topic and then as they're bringing up the topic, they're feeling really strange around it, or you're getting a sense that they feel awkward talking about it, or there's whispering, you know, between the mother and the grandmother, or yes. there are things, strange things happening around you, 
you develop a sense of not trusting your environment, right? You feel like there's something wrong, or if somebody's not fully accepting of you, if the parent sees you as not being part of them because they feel that they're donor conceived and they feel like they're not related to you. And it's the parent's issue because the parent doesn't feel connected enough and they haven't done the work to get past that. And so the kid absorbs it. Right. And so I think a lot of the things we're talking about are, you know, really to, I mean, it sounds corny, but really just to give the, your children the love and the trust that they need and to be as open with them as possible and to be able to give them these opportunities to explore whatever's meaningful to them. And in spite of the fact that it might make us feel uncomfortable at sometimes, we need to kind of put ourselves in their shoes and say, okay, what is it that they want? We can't yeah. predetermine they're going to need X, Y, and Z because we don't know our kids yet. I mean, as they develop, we get to know them and they change so much as they get older, oh my right? God, they, so much. It's amazing, right? And I, I think for a lot of people out there, you know, when you're starting your journey, you don't really realize that, but, you know, your kids start with a certain temperament and then that changes over time. I know with my daughter, when we start first started do the, doing these tip-top workshops, my oldest daughter hated it. And she kept on thinking, it was the worst <laughs> thing ever. And I can't believe you're making me do this, mom. And it's terrible. And we did it every summer. And I think in like summer eight or summer seven, I went into her room and she was looking at the materials. Yeah. So yeah. you never know, right? Yeah. You just never know that at some point they're not going to change their ideas about wanting to find their donor or wanting more information or whatever. And so we just need to lay it all out there and support them in their growth. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And there can't be any shame. Like they're just, yeah. it just has to be, I mean, it's like, I know a few people or I've heard also heard stories of people who maybe used egg donors and didn't tell their kids. And I'm always like, oh dear God, this is just going to blow up in your face. Yeah, You know, it's like you mentioned that there was a lot of like hullabaloo with the donor conceived networks. And, and there was like a lot of like looking for reform. And, you know, we got in there and had some conversations with them. And I found that a lot of the people that were very upset were people who had been lied to or people who didn't have all their information. And I'm not saying that I'm, everything is going to be perfect and hunky dory with my kids because of the honesty, but I'd certainly think we have a much better chance of of it going well and of them feeling like whole and complete. Like this Mm -hmm. is my family and this is, you know, like, and so far my kids are landing, knock wood, are landing where your kids are like, does a fish know it's in water? And that's great. You know, they're far yeah. more annoyed with me for, you know, my propensity to be very strict or, you know, they're they're right. far more annoyed w- with my parenting style than they are uh, the fact that they don't have a dad. It doesn't mean that, especially for my son, you know, he's in an, even our cat's a girl, you know, it's like he's <laughs> in an all female house and, you know, and he's got a lot of feelings, he's got a lot of emotions. And so I try to I try to keep him in places where there's strong men, like he's in sports, where there's strong coaches. And and I try to like foster and facilitate relationships with other men in my life that I love that are like good dads. And, you know, he just went and spent a weekend with one of my friends from college. Like uh, he has three sons and his wife is one of my best friends. And and they did like a boys weekend. So it's like we're, we're just mm. doing the best we can, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I'll tell you what, it, it the mother moments that break your heart, like him and I were on a, a walk one morning and he said, I don't know, somehow it was like, we were like in the neighborhood of talking about puberty. And he said something like, well, you know, he's like, I can really get everything I need off of YouTube. And I was like, oh dear God, please no. I was like, I don't think you should be getting, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> we were talking about who's mm-hmm. going to teach him to shave. 
you know, I think it was, that's what yeah. we were talking about. So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, we're just really honest and open and, and that's, that's part of how I approach all of parenting and mostly like, not mostly that sounded bad, but all of my life is like, I'm, I'm a very open communicator. I, tr- I, I try to share where I'm coming from. I try to clean up my mistakes and I try to do those same things as a parent. And, and again, like just like every other thing in parenting, like I'm far more daunted now. And that's why I think that to the point that I, about my daughter being a teen, let me say that I'm far more daunted now about my daughter being a teen, but that's part of that point that I was making earlier that I'm not sure I ever really finished is like, I understand how bunged up you can get during the process of choosing a donor and how you want to make your family. And even if you're a straight couple who's struggling to get pregnant, like how that can just feel like the weight of the world and like, it's never, but good Lord, it's just the beginning. It is just the beginning for how hard the journey of parenting is. And you know, that's a thing that I'm very committed to talking about because I think not enough people talk about how hard parenting is and how much support you need. And it's okay to be like, my kid was being a jerk today. Or my, you know, mm-hmm. my kid, my kid's being, you know, my kid's struggling and I'm frustrated. And, you know, it's like, I feel like we're all trying to like, it's great. It's the most lovely, rewarding thing I've ever done. And sure, it is that. But it is also the fucking, sorry if I'm not allowed to swear, hardest thing <laughs> I've ever done. And the, yes you know, the most challenging thing and the thing that pushes me to my growth edge. So like, if you can't hang in there with like the donor process and the, the like you're in for some trouble because parenting's tough. It'll push you. Can you it tell def- them how to tough time, Lisa? <laughs> it definitely pushes you. It's true. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. And, you know, people look forward to that, right? They they say, let me bring it on, right? I'm looking forward to wait. Being, <laughs> being so stressed out about, like, you know, my kids because I just want to be a parent so badly and it's so hard to go through fertility treatment. And, a and lot it of is. I don't mean to minimize covered. that, you know, but yes. Yeah. And it's still, you know, even though ASRM has changed their designation for fertility now, this year, uh, which is great, it's still, you know, unfortunately pretty discriminatory, right? We Mm -hmm. just had somebody on the podcast who had to go to um, Africa to have his, to find a surrogate because he couldn't afford a surrogate in the US. And so, and that's scary, right? I mean, there's no FDA in Africa. There's no, I mean, you just don't know what's going on there. Legal protections you may not have. Legal protections and right. And what's going on with the surrogate? Is she being treated well or not? And, you know, he doesn't even know where his donor comes from. So there is still a lot of discrimination, a lot of other issues that we're kind of battling absolutely trying to have more equality in family building certainly but you know we do see in terms of the disclosure issues that the two problems that people have most are when either they have there's late disclosure or mm-hmm. accidental disclosure yes. right and and those things can be so damaging for the children on some levels we're just super lucky that we're two women because mm-hmm. there's no you can't hide it like they were there, you know, it, like it uh, happened real early and way earlier than I thought, you know, it was like, as soon as we went to daycare, my daughter start being like, I, I wrote an article about this on, on medium was featured on medium called where's my daddy. Cause like as soon as oh. we took her to daycare, she started being like, yep, my daddy picks me up. And we were just like, no, remember you have two moms and some people have a grandma and a grandpa and some people, she was like, nope, my daddy's downstairs in the basement. And then at first we were like, what's happening in the basement? And then, <laughs> and then we were like, and then we were like, just, it, she was like almost walking up to strangers on the street and being like, that's my daddy. And we were like, oh my God, no. You know, it's like, and we had to like really bump up and that's when we 
we went out and bought a book that was like two moms with a sperm donor. And it was like, it it was a, and we read it whenever she would do that, we would read it every night for like a few to weeks. explain it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then if she asked any questions, we would. And then as she got older, we just kept adding to it. And we'd be like, oh, see like that, that donor, you and Henry have different donors. And so that's how we would just start drop. We would use the book to drop things in. It was facilitated by her noticing our family wasn't the same. So if you're a, a you know a heterosexual presenting couple and you used a donor egg or a sperm donor, you can get away with not sharing that information. But to anyone who's listening, that if you are in that camp and you are thinking about that, I implore you not to do that, to make it part of the story right out of the get-go. Cause it'll never, like you said, accidental how accidental happens all the time. You know, it's like all they have to do is go to the hospital and get their blood drawn and then have it not match. And it's just, it's gonna, and and with 23 and me, ooh, like I've had a couple of uh, new aunts that like an aunt and I think an uncle that popped out of the woodwork from a, I guess, great aunts from like my dad's sister. I mean, they're all dead. So I'm I'm spilling the family, the Hopkins family tea, but like, (laughs) like had some kids on the farm in upstate New York and like people showed up on the 23 and me and reached out to my sister like hey i we're we're related and we right. were like, ooh and there had been family lore about it you know it's like it was like back in the day like you know someone got sent away for a, a couple of months that was like i think how they handled things like that yes that's how they handled it right yes. it was just like they're, yeah. they're, they're away for a semester so yeah. you know so it's like it's going to come out it, it is so like just handle the message before it's like politics almost like <laughs> Right. That's the right. worst and metaphor ever. it goes ever. back to that, like, <laughs> well, it, it does go back to that se- sense of trust. Like, if you can yeah. trust your parents, if you feel like there's not a secret in the house, if you don't feel like something's being held from you, it does change a relationship. Right? It makes a relationship so different. Once you can trust somebody, you know, your shoulders drop, you feel, even as an adult, you can sense just a whole different feeling with somebody if yeah. you feel trusting of them. And children need that most to feel safe in the world, right? And to develop mm-hmm. psychological stability and all sorts of other things. So well, and and reading the book to my kids forced me to confront any shame or internal conversation that I was having about it. Because mm-hmm. it's like the first yeah. couple of times we read it, I was uncomfortable. And I was yes. like, oh, like, I was like, what words is she going to take from this book and take into school? Is she going to be like at daycare talking about sperm and eggs and her two moms? And, and it's like it, like in the reading, I got more comfortable with it. So yes. it, like it allows healing for you, for whatever you may yes. need. And it also is setting your kid up to be, like you said, trusting and informed and allowing them, like, I I feel like my only job as a parent is I, I don't want kids that come back and live with me. I want to love them and I want to hang out with them and I want them to like me and I want them to be good people, but I want them, I want them to go and have amazing lives. Mm -hmm. I just want them to launch. Yeah. I want, I like, that's my job. My job Mm -hmm. is to like set you up so that you, you question, like, I don't want you to question me right now, (laughs) which is the hard part. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm, I'm setting up these kids that to be questioners of the way things go. And then when they question me, I'm all like, Hey, not now. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. But it's like, I want them to be strongly opinionated people who care about other people who are empathetic and walk out into the world and build a goddamn good life. Like, and like, this is all part of that. Like I have to give them everything they need and that's the information to be secure in who they are and where they come from. That's part of it. Absolutely, Robin. 100%.
Well, I think that was beautifully said, and I think that's a good note to to wrap up on. That was so beautiful. I think that's absolutely true. I hope everybody takes that to heart because it's so important. Ultimately, you know, in decades from now, after your children have launched, that's what you're going to want most, right? Them to feel secure in themselves when they go out into the world. And this is a great place to start with the honesty and a good story. And as Robin's saying, to be able to even talk about it yourself so you could get the kinks out yourself in the story. So I think that's great. Well, thank you so much, Robin, for coming on today. Really, really appreciate it. And for all of you out there, I'd like to share Robin's information so that that you can connect with her. How do we find you, Robin? Yeah, um, I'm uh, at Real Rob Hops. Let's Real Rob Hops on all the social platforms. That's probably the best place to get me. And also you can follow my Substack shit I learned from my crappy childhood. And that's, I think it's like robinhopkins.substack.com, but whatever. Search me, you'll find me there. Um, You know, I got any of my musings. I would love to have you on the journey with me. And your podcast? Oh yeah. Well adjusting. Well adjusting is the podcast. Um, Well dot, dot, dot adjusting. Um, (laughs) That's the, that's the podcast. Come check that out too. We got a new season coming out March 19th. Oh, great. Okay. Terrific. So everyone take a look and subscribe and certainly subscribe here as well. Yes. I know a lot of, I get a lot of emails from people who say that they love the podcast and they listen to it a lot, but they don't press that subscribe button. So please do that. It really means a lot and definitely come back next time for more wonderful stories. We'd love to have Hi, it's Lisa Schumann, just popping in quickly to say thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you liked it, please rate, review, and subscribe, because that's how we keep going and come back for more.